Hallelujah. Pray. We're going to talk about the Father of mercies. And he's not, he is the Father of mercy, but the Bible says he's the Father of mercies. That means he has all kind of mercies for us. He's many faceted. And so the longer you live, he will show you another side of himself. Amen. So, Father, we worship you, Lord. We honor you and lift you up and we magnify you. And, Father, we count it an honor and a privilege to break open your word, your word that gives life. It brings understanding to the simple. Your life, your word that brings life and healing and wholeness. Your light, your, your, your word that brings us wisdom. We just thank you for it, Father. And we thank you that our life is hidden in your word. And we bless you, Jesus. Now, Satan, I bind you and I break your power. I bind every distraction in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I just thank you for the prevailing of your word. It never returns void. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. So if you turn in your, your text to Second Corinthians chapter 1, that's where I'm going to start. Second Corinthians chapter 1. And we're just going to lay, a, I'm going to lay a little bit of foundation first before we jump all in. Because I was so encouraged. And uh, so I just don't want to get ahead of myself. So Second Corinthians chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. And Paul was talking here. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. And God of all comfort, who comforts us and who comforts us in all tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. And so Paul is saying here, blessed be God, the God of all mercies. And what he's saying is when you've received God's mercy and when you have received God's comfort, be quick to give it away. Amen. So we're laying a foundation here. Lamentations chapter 3, if you would turn there. And I would suggest you take notes because when your day comes and you need some mercy for it on your life, you'll have an anchor. You'll have something to turn back to. 1148. Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 22. And it says, Though the Lord's mercies, I'm sorry, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions they fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to all those who wait for him. And to the soul who seeks him. Amen. So again, we're talking about the Lord, the Father of mercies. And so I want to give you a definition on mercy. Mercy, well, let me read this one first, what I first wrote down. Mercy means compassion or forgiveness. Mercy is something that's shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. And I think that's the mercy that we're all most familiar with. But then as you go on to read or study, compassion and mercy have the same meaning. Mercy in the Hebrew noun in the Old Testament means compassion. 
compassion, the Greek verb in the New Testament also means mercy. The adjective for compassionate means merciful. Mercy means to be love, to love tender, to pity, to show mercy, and to be full of eager yearning. So why is this so important that we talk about the Father of mercies? Because God was saying a lot of people don't know me like that. They know me as a God of judgment. They know me as a God of do's and don'ts. They don't know me as the God that you can come to with any shortcoming. And I won't judge you. You'll find mercy at my throne. You'll find mercy at my grace. And so I am here to unveil the mercy of God. And so my example that I'm going to use is Jesus. The Bible said, you know, Jesus told them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said, everything that I do, I've seen my Father do. And so I'm just, and this is my foundation scripture, Psalms 145, verses 8 through 9. You can turn there if you want to, but I wrote it down. Verse 8 says, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. Verse 9 says, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his work. You might say, well, what are his works? We are his works. And so what God is saying is my mercy is over you, it's over your life, and my mercy is over everything that I've called you to do. And he, and he, go, he says that. He says, I, I don't think I wrote the, I didn't write the scripture down, but I'm sure you can find it where the Bible says that we are his workmanship. That's God's mercies. And it hovers over us. We were not created by accident. We were created on purpose. When God breathed the breath of life into us, he says, she or he is my workmanship. My mercies will cover her all the days of her life. And I'm going to hover over her like a mother broods over her child, her newborn infant. My mercy will follow her all the days of her life. Even David knew that. He said, goodness, he said, his goodness and his mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And so, again, we're talking about the father of mercies. Amen. So uh, I'm going to get started here. I've been just trying to lay a foundation. Ephesians 2.10, if we could go there. God's mercy has rescued me and my family over and over again. So when I was looking at the Father of mercies, I was actually believing God for a healing and uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was not feeling good, and uh, I'm not a complainer. You'll never know I'm not feeling good unless I'm just crazy not feeling good. And so I just kept going back over. I, I have a stack of books. So I was reading books that, you know, anything on healing that I felt like would encourage me. And uh, there was one particular scripture that I was reading. I kept going over and over it, and I saw how God's mercy healed somebody. And it, it just, and as long as we've been having healing schools, it still opened up a revelation to me. I'm healed because of God's mercy. That, that's why I'm healed. I, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I'm healed because he loves me, because his mercy follows me all the days of my life. So then it helped me to stop working to feel better and to relax in what he's already done for me. And, you know, when we went to the <laughs> Rejoice Detroit I had told Pastor Barb, I said, Pastor Barb, because I had been feeling terrible. My, I've never had allergies. 
my sinuses are crazy. If I blew my nose, I couldn't just blow my nose. I blew my nose ten times before I got everything out. And then, uh, and then um, I thought I had a lymph node under my arm because, you know, sometimes when you are viruses, you might get those lymph nodes and things. And so I went to Rejoice Detroit, and I, and I didn't feel good at all, but the devil is not going to stop me. <laughs> so I put on my heeled big girl pants, prayed in tongues all the way there, got there. So I said, well, Pastor Barb, and, you know, I knew we were going to go out street witness, and I said, I don't know if you're going to do an altar call, but I'm going to need prayer. I said, I got a lymph node that's on my armpit and it's bothering me. And I said, my sinuses. And she said, okay, you know, so she, somebody else had asked for prayer. And uh, <laughs> so when she got ready to pray for me, she said, she said, lift your arm up. And she did the Smith Wigglesworth on me. She hit me. <laughs> and she said, I cursed at that throat. I wanted to say, ah. <laughs> and then I hit the floor. And then someone caught me that doesn't normally catch me. And they called me all wrong, and they grabbed my arm, and I wanted to scream again. But you know what? I woke up healed. <laughs> I woke up healed. Amen. And it wasn't a limp note. It wasn't nothing like that. Because I was telling Daniel about it, my son, he was laughing at me. He said, did you think it was cancer? And he was laughing at me. He was like, you and your word, where your faith at? <laughs> and I, it was nothing like that. Actually, it was just a big bump, and the next day it had come to a head and started oozing. (laughs) And I thought all week how the devil had been tormenting me. I was in my word, which you need to be in your word. You you know, God's word is medicine, but I was in my word nervous. And so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it was a story that I read. Well, I'll just say this part because we'll eventually get to it. I kept reading a book, and... Uh, this, you know, going over some things I had read, and Brother uh, Hagen Jr. gives a testimony about blind Bartimaeus and how God's mercy healed him. And I said, oof, that's what got me. His mercy healed me. His mercy healed Bar- blind Bartimaeus. And so that's what, this is the foundation for this teaching today. Because he said, I'm the God of all mercies. It ain't always about judgment and not slapping you when you need it. You know, God's, my mercy is many faceted. I'm like a diamond. It's so many parts to me that you'll be, you'll be all your life trying to figure out who I am and you still will know me this much because my mercy is so vast and it's so great. And so anyway, that's the foundation for the scripture. So anyway, Ephesians chapter 2, I don't even know if I read it. You see, okay, okay, so Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Okay, yes, we talked about, oh, that's why I wrote that down when it says that we are his workmanship, when God said that his, his, uh, he said his tender mercies are over all his work. And the Holy Spirit said, let me know. His tender mercy is over you because you are his workmanship. And so I just, that's why I wanted to write that down, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that, that you should walk in them. And so God is saying, I created you. I made you. I got a purpose for your life. Whatever I tell you to do, you better do it. And when you do it, you're going to succeed at it because my mercy hovers over you. This ain't no merit thing. My mercy's doing this. You can't earn my love. I died for you when you were unlovable. So it ain't like, you know, I, I, I saw you at your worst and I gave my most. And that's God's mercy. Okay, so uh, we're going to go to Second Chronicles chapter 16. Verse 9a. 
And I'm still laying a foundation on God's mercy because when I was believing God for a miracle, he really showed me some things. And I got so convicted when Pastor Barb was preaching. I don't know if that was that Sunday after Rejoice Detroit or whenever, or last week. And she said, well, you got symptoms in your body. Stay off the Internet. Because I was like, well, let me just look this up. And <laughs> So, but anyway, God is merciful anyway. So anyway, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9a. Okay, I need to go to page 629. 9a and it says for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him and so this is another portion of God's mercy God's mercy will look for you to bless you he will look for you to bless you that's just how much he loves you And so I wrote down here, God's mercy and compassion is not just about holding back judgment. It works for us to restore, to heal, protect, forgive, etc. And so we're going to look at, there's, I mean, we could be here all day talking about the Lord's mercy. So there's just a few things that we're going to look at. And so the first example that the Lord gave me, he said, my mercy provides for you. It ain't your job. And so we're going to look at the God of mercy who provides for us. And so we'll go to Mark chapter 8. There's many, but these are the examples that I have. Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to read 1 through 8. It says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to him, I have compassion. And remember, compassion and mercy are the same thing. Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own homes, they will faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him and said, how can one satisfy these people with bread, with bread here in the wilderness? They asked him, and Jesus said, well, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. So he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the ground. So he took the seven loaves, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it, to the, gave it to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish. Having blessed them, he said to them, set them also before them. So they ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftovers, which were the fragments. And so this is a, I'm going to keep going here. Jesus had compassion on the multitude that had been following him. See the heart of God through Jesus. Jesus was saying to these, these people have denied themselves. They've left everything to be with me. Some of these folks are very far from home. I must or I am obligated to feed them. And that's what the Lord was letting me know. Anything you do for me, I don't care what it is. I I am indebted to you. I will bless you. 
that's my mercy that provides for you. Yeah, you might have a good job, but because I'm indebted to you, I bless you with that job because that's the vehicle I'm going to use to bless you. It might be a job. It might be a person. God can bless you however he wants to bless you, and he knows how to get the blessing to you. And Jesus, and I'm going on to say, it says, Jesus blessed the food. He multiplied it, and there was leftovers for the next meal. God's mercy sees your needs, and he provides. God's mercy also sees our future, and he makes provision. Psalms 35:27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad, who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. And so Jesus, what God was saying is, what the Lord was showing me through this, with him feeding the multitudes. He was saying, first of all, there were thousands and thousands of people here that had sacrificed everything. I provided for them because I love them. My mercy hovers over them. They left everything to follow me. They were three days If we had to come to church, if we had to go to that conference, and on the third day we hadn't had no food, y'all would be ready to go home. Because, you know, before we can get unpacked, everybody trying to figure out what they call in my phone is dinner ready. So Jesus is saying, I love you so much. I see your sacrifice. These people have denied everything. They are with me. I'm obligated to bless them. And that's the mercy of God. And so I'm going to go on. Uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 17. And I'm going to go to page 14, 38. Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27 says, Oh, this is another provision. And when they came to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? You know, always looking to accuse Jesus. He said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, because Jesus knew that he he was always, Jesus wasn't even about being one step ahead of them. He knew their heart. He knew their 411 coming and going. So Jesus was waiting on him to walk in and ask him about this money. And he said, well, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free? He said, but nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in the hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened his mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that. And give it to them for me and for you. And so I remember uh, years ago, uh, Pastor Barb used this scripture one time for paying our, her, her property taxes. And so what the Lord was showing me, he said, my mercy will provide for you. Because it is an offense. When you are, first of all, when you're a Christian and your bill's not paid, you make God look bad. Because you make God look like he can't provide for you. And so Jesus said, go get the money for me and for you. He is, he is concerned about your reputation because when you don't pay your, your debtors, they're offended. That's why they call your house all day long. That's why they quick to want to snatch, snatch back what's basically theirs. And what God is saying here, he, what Jesus told him, he said, Peter, go out there and go fishing. And I like this because Peter was a fisherman. And all his wisdom, he knew what would come easy for him. He said, go out there and do what you normally do. 
he, he wasn't a tax collector, so he wouldn't tell him to go to the, his customer's house and collect taxes. He was a fisherman. And so God will create a gift inside of you that will help you to produce money. You know, years ago, Mike Murdoch said, whatever your God-given gift or ability or talent is, that's your money-making gift. Very few people tap into that to find out what it is. And so, but anyway, that's a whole nother story. So anyway... Jesus is concerned about your basic needs being met. You know, it's just like if you know Jesus as healer and you got a bill to pay, know him as your provider. He said, my, my same mercy that heals your body is the same mercy that will pay your bills. It's the same mercy that will buy you a house. It's the same mercy that will buy you a car. I am the father of mercies. I delight in the prosperity of my children and I want to see you blessed. Amen. And so now we're going to move over to look at the God of mercy, the Father of mercy who forgives. And that's John chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. We're talking about the Father of mercies. Why is this so important? Because if you don't know God and all his different attributes, you won't trust him. And you won't be able to get anything from him. And the things that he has for you, you won't have the faith to, faith to receive it because you'll think he doesn't want you to have it. John chapter 8, 1 through 12. And we're talking about God's mercy forgives. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came, he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in the act of adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Thus they said, testing him, that they might have something to which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his fingers, As though he didn't hear him. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The Pharisees were so heartless. They didn't care about this woman or her sin. They were using her as a snare for Jesus. There is, I don't know all the particulars. I guess I could have just taken more time to write it down. But she, by right, should have been stoned to death. So if he would have said she needs to be stoned, if Jesus would have gave them permission to stone her, then Jesus would have been at fault because legally he didn't have the authority to say that. But then if Jesus said, don't stone her, then he was going against the law of Moses. 
So in other words, Jesus was going to be damned if he did and damned if he didn't. So this was a snare for Jesus. They didn't care about this lady. And if the Bible says she was caught in a very act of adultery, we don't know what she had on. This lady was shamed. She was a victim. Ain't no difference than them shaming her like that than having her in the bed and using her body. They were still using her. She was still a victim. Jesus, being full of wisdom, saw this plot and knew the wickedness of their hearts. As Jesus kept writing, their own wickedness began to convict them. They knew that they couldn't throw a stone. When Jesus asked her, where are your accusers? No one has condemned you. She answered, no one, Lord. And being a worldly woman, she had more honor and respect for Jesus than the religious rulers. She said, no one, Lord. Another translation said, no one, Master. Fewer and honor respect she had for Jesus as she stood there embarrassed, ashamed, dehumanized. Jesus did admonish her. He didn't let her go scot-free. He did admonish her. And he said, go and sin no more. His mercy and compassion saved her life. Because by right she should have been stoned to death. His love for her covered her multitude of sins. Just like God's mercy covers our multitude of sins. She stood there a victim of the religious who wanted to use her. To trap Jesus. They didn't care about her, her life. They, they didn't care if she was dead or alive. They just said, they, they saw her as useless, a piece of trash, somebody that they could use to ensnare Jesus. This woman full of shame and guilt and regret, but God was the lifter of her head. Amen. And so God said, I'm the God who forgives. I don't care. If you caught in the act, I don't care if you're thinking about doing it. I don't care if you do it over and over. As long as you have a heart of repentance, you can come to me and always find mercy and forgiveness. Luke chapter 7. And we're talking about the Father of mercies. And we're talking about right, right now, the God who forgives. You've got to know you're forgiven. God says, when you come to me, if you confess your sin, when you come to me, he said, I will forgive you and I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And he will not cast you out. He will not say, oh, your sin is so big, I don't have a mercy or a grace for that. He don't, he'll never give you that answer. Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7. Okay. And guess what? This is the same woman. It says that one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, so that took boldness right there. She said, these same men that wanted me dead are entertaining the master. I'm indebted to him. I don't care. I'm going to go and show him honor anyway. She reminds me of the lady with the issue of blood. I'm unclean. I shouldn't leave my house. But I know if I can touch the hem of Jesus' garment, he'll make me whole. See, when you know Jesus, when he, the Bible says those who who have been forgiven much, they love much. And see, this woman was forgiven much. Her love compelled her to get out the house 
and have the boldness to walk up in somebody's house knowing that they wanted her dead, knowing that they saw her as dirt and nothing. Her life didn't matter. It says, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, so that was boldness right there, she walked up in there. And she brought an alabaster, an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, with the hair of her, of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed, with the, and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw he spoke let me start over. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a real prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is that he is touching, that is touching him. For she's a sinner. In other words, this dog is in my house touching Jesus. And if he was a prophet, he would know who she is. He would cast her out. She's a whore. Her life doesn't matter. How dare she walk up in here? We are the religious. We are the elite. How dare she be in my house? And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. And he said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to pay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them loves me more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. And see, that was customary because most of the time they were either in sandals or barefoot. And so that was just like when someone comes to your house, you might say, can I offer you a glass of water, some Kool-Aid? You would offer them uh, something, a basin, so that they could wash their feet, so that they could be comforted and sit in your home in comfort and ease just for a few minutes just to take the load off. And he said, you didn't even have that much courtesy for me. You didn't even do that for me. You didn't give me no water. I couldn't even wash. You didn't even ask me, can I wash your feet? He said, but this woman, she's washing my feet with her tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. And see, that's another sign. It was, you know, when you, the Bible says when you, you know, in that time you agree each other with a holy kiss. He said, you gave me no kiss. Or you didn't shake my hand or welcome me when I came to your house. You know, when you, someone comes to your house, you usually greet them with a hug or some kind of greeting. Something, something hospitable to make them feel like they're welcome. He said, you gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't give me anything for my comfort. But this woman has anointed me, has anointed me feet with, has anointed, I'm sorry, my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loves much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And that's the same thing similar he told the woman with the issue of blood. When she came out of that house knowing that she was unclean, it was illegal, and she said, if I could just get to the master and touch the hem of his garment, I know he will heal me. 
Because I have heard about this Jesus. He will not turn me away. He will protect me. And this woman had the same revelation. She said, this Jesus who saved my life. When I was caught in the act of adultery, I was guilty. I couldn't even explain myself because I was caught in the very act. I stood there naked and he spared my life and he didn't judge me. He didn't look down on me. He made me feel like my life mattered. He told her, your faith has saved you. And so God's, and that's God's mercy. And that mercy hovers over us. You know how when you got some flowers and you might see that bumblebee and you can hear it. When it gets close to that, and it hovers, and that's the way God's mercy hovers over us all the time, all the time. And so now we're going to talk about, because we could go on and on about Jesus forgiven. And it says, God, so now we're going to talk about God's mercy heals us. Okay, so if you could turn to Mark. I didn't say which chapter. Well, let me go there first so that I'll tell you. I know we're going to Mark. Let me find the page. <laughs> Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to read, okay, Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to read verse 46 through 52. It says, And now, now they came to Jericho. And he went out to Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, oh, be a good cheer, rise up, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, I'm sorry, yeah, go your way. Your sight has been made well. And immediately he received his sight. But instead of going, the Bible says he followed him on down the road. Amen. So Jesus heals us. So I want to talk about blind Bartimaeus. First of all, you know, we know this Bartimaeus. Bar means son of. So he's the son of Timaeus. And so his name, I, you know, intrigued me. There's so much about Timaeus. Because in the Greek, his name means to honor. But then in the Hebrew, his name means to dishonor. And so with him being mentioned in the Bible as the son of Timaeus, that means he is a man of prominence. So they knew who he was because the other Bibles, uh, other translation says a certain blind man. And so when you're a certain blind man or the son of, that means that there is a place of prominence behind you. You come from kingship or royalty. You're known in the city. And so Bartimaeus was sitting there waiting on Jesus to come. And when in the Bible, another translation said when it was noised that he was in the city, he started screaming out for him. And he was screaming out so much they were saying, well, you shut up. 
the Bible says they warned him to be quiet. And you know, when you warn somebody, that means you're going to do them bodily harm. But there was something that Jesus heard. He said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And although blind Bartimaeus was sitting there, he called Jesus Son of David. He knew something about Jesus that others didn't know. He had been sitting there listening. He said, This is the Son of David. This is the Messiah. This is the one that they have been preaching about for years. A lot of them don't recognize it, but I know exactly who he is. I know that he's the son of David. I know his lineage. He's the Messiah. He's my answer. He is the only healer. And that's why when they kept saying, shut up, be quiet, he cried out all the more. He said, Jesus, son of David. And those words hit Jesus' ears because the Bible says that Jesus stood still. Because even the lady with the issue of blood, he was walking. She was crawling up behind him, reaching for him. But when Bartimaeus called him, Jesus stood still. And he said, somebody is calling me that knows who I am. Because everybody didn't know who Jesus was. He said, somebody knows me. They know what I stand for. They know my deity, my lineage. There's very few people that you will find in the New Testament that call Jesus son of David. Very few. And so that's why he, he stopped and he said, bring him here. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? Timaeus. And so he's saying, you know what? I've lived a dishonorable life. I'm blind. I beg. People walk by and I shake pencils to say, hey, have mercy on me. Give me something. And when they don't give me stuff, I'm mad. He said, but you know what? I know who you are. I know you're my healer. I know you can help me. I want to see Jesus. I want an honorable life. I want to be to provide and take care of myself. I want, to, I want to make my father proud. I am the son of Timaeus. And I know that you are Jesus, the son of David. You are the prophesied one. And I know you got exactly what I need. And see, he showed his faith because when they told him, when they told him Jesus was calling him, he threw aside his garment. He didn't take it with him. He threw it aside. He said, you know what? This is, this is the day of my salvation. I'm throwing this aside. I'm getting up blind, but by the time I get to the master, I'm going to see. I won't need that anymore. I'm no longer going to be blind Bartimaeus. I am now Timaeus. And not only that, I'm going to, this is the son of David. My, 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 uh, you know, my priestliness or my uh, reputation is not as kingly as him, but I know he represents his father. I'm going to walk in because he, Jesus told him, he said, go and be well. And he was made whole, but he followed Jesus. And with him following Jesus, that meant, Lord, you know what? I'm going where you go. Where you sleep, I sleep. What you do, I'm going to do. I'm indebted to you. I love you. I know who you are. You are the Messiah. Everybody thinks they're looking for another. You're it. I'm not leaving you. You gave me too much. You restored me. You've given me honor, which is what my name means. Amen. So anyway, I'm going to stop there because I could keep going on and on. But anyway, so i got another example. Let's go to Luke chapter 17. And we're talking about uh, 
Jesus healing. His mercy heals us. God's mercy heals us. Because see, everything Jesus did, the Father told him to do it. Jesus is the will of God in action. That's like when the disciples asked him, well, where is your father? Have we seen him? And Jesus said, I've been with you all this time. And you still don't know who the father is? The things that I do. When you see me, you see the father in action. And so anyway, Luke chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 11 through 19. It says, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then he entered a certain village. There met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You know, they couldn't get close to Jesus because they were lepers. And when he saw them, he said to them, Hey, go, show yourself to the priests. And so as they went, they were cleansed. And so when you go to the priest, that means they'll look you over. And they say, Oh, okay, the leprosy has stopped. Okay, you can be in general public. You can, you can go home to your family because they're living in a leper colony. So you can go home. You're not contagious. They were cleansed, but they weren't made whole. So if you lost the ear, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't spreading to the other ear. You're cleansed now, but you're still missing the ear, but you're cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned with a loud voice and glorified God and fell down on his face to his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered, were not ten, were not ten cleansed? Well, where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And see, that lets you know God's mercy heals Because he didn't say give honor to me. He said give honor to my father. Because he wants you well. He wants you whole. Couldn't nobody look down and see that they was clean and couldn't say, oh my God, I'm healed. God healed me. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. The King James Version says whole. So that means he got a recreative miracle. When he bowed down and thanked Jesus. So if he had five, so if he had three fingers, by the time he got to the priest, he had all five back. If he had a half a ear, by the time he showed himself to the priest, he had a whole ear. And so God's mercy heals. He restores. He makes us whole. Because if these men were living in a leper colony, they weren't seeing their wives. They weren't seeing their children. They couldn't work. They were contagious. But God's mercy heals. Amen. Amen. So now we're going to talk about God's mercy restores us and honors us. And so my first example is Second, Second Samuel chapter 9. I found out so much about God's mercy and the length of that he'll go through to get his mercy to us is mind-blowing. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I'm going to read in verse 1. And so this is God's mercy restores us and honors us. It It says, now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul 
that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziva. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, no, it's this. So, it says to, so he said to him, are you Ziva? And he said, at your service. And the king said, is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness, who I may show the kindness of God? And Ziva said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who was lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziva said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir. I knew how to say that yesterday. Machir. It, that don't sound right. But anyway. Masher. Thank you. Yep. I was going to say last night I <laughs> went online and let them read it to me so that I could see that. Yes. The son of Miliel in Lodivar. Then King David sent and brought him to the house of Mashir. The son, anyway, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, don't fear, for I will surely show you the kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather and you will eat bread at my table continually and he vowed himself and said what is your servant that you should look upon me as a dead dog as I am and the king said to Ziba Saul's servant and said to him I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house You, therefore, and your sons, your servants, shall work the land for him. And you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziva had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziva said to the king, let me see, do I want to keep going? Because it's sounding real good. Let me see. Okay, so anyway... Okay, I'll just go on. Then Ziva said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servants do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And so this really intrigued me because this thought didn't just come to David and say, hey, is there anybody left in Jonathan's family? This was God's mercy whispering to him. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of God. And what God is saying, when I want to get it, he told me, he said, when I want to get a blessing to you, I can talk to anybody that I want to talk to. I will make them remember stuff about you good and forget stuff about you bad because that's my mercy that hovers over you. And so God's mercy found Mephibosheth. When he thought he was forgotten, he was lame. You know, if you're lame, you can't work, you can't provide. He's royalty. You know, that's like the, the, the young guys. You know, I know they're not young, but Charles and, and Harry, something happened to the queen. And all of a sudden they lost everything and they got to live in hiding. And then Don, let's just say Donald Trump says, you know what? The queen was good to me. Where's her grandsons? I want to bless them. I want to restore them. They, are, they, 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 they have an heirship 
They need to be living out of it. And so God's mercy went back and got Mephibosheth. And he said, I'm going to restore everything to you that was your dad's and your grandfather's. These, your servants are going to work your land. They're going to bring the harvest in. So not only did he bless Mephibosheth, he blessed Mephibosheth's servant Ziba because the Bible says he had 15 sons. So now these boys are employed. And so God, God he, he, he does the whole picture. So God, mercy, restores and it honors. He restored this boy. He restored this boy's honor because it was not his fault that he was lame. They were running, and the maid dropped him when he was a baby and injured his legs. And so, but but God, but God, but God. So now the another example the Lord was showing me where He said, I, "My mercy will restore and honor." Let's go to the book of Esther, Esther chapter six. Yeah, God's mercy is many faceted. I don't even think I got 1%, but this is just a few little things that he showed me so that I could get to know him better, so that I could trust him more to do it. We believe in 40 impossible and don't know the God we serve. It won't work. Got to know who you're working for. Esther chapter 6. Okay, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, that night, God is so good. It says, that night the king could not sleep. So So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Victhama and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to, to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king says, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servant who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. So the king said, who was in the court? So Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace because he wanted to come in and gossip about Mordecai. That's, you know, my version. To suggest to the king that he hang Mordecai on the gallows. (laughs) That he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said to him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come on in. So Haman came in. The king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman, full of pride and arrogance, just knew he was talking about him. Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight in honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, For the man who the king delights to honor, oh, let a royal robe be brought back that the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on his head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of the one the king noble, to the king's most noble prince, that he may array the man who the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square, and proclaim before him thus It will be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai. God is so good. God didn't forget about Mordecai. He didn't forget. You know, God never forgets your labor of work for him. Because although... He saved the king's life. There's something in Mordecai called honor. 
respect. He respected authority. You know, he respected authority so much he took his niece and, and put her into their trust so that she could be trained to be the next queen to take Vashti's place. And see, whether you're honoring the king, a pastor, a prophet, when you have a loyal heart, it's all those fumes of your service go up to the throne of God as honoring him. Because there is no authority unless God has placed that person in that authority. And so what the Lord was letting me know, never be afraid to honor people that God has placed in your life. I will never forget your works of righteousness. Don't listen to the naysayers that say, oh, you do too much. Oh, you're not appreciated. Do you want honor from men or do you want honor from God? Because when God honors you, what a man can do for you will not even compare. God honors and he restores. Amen. He, and we all know the rest of the story. Esther went on. She obeyed her uncle Mordecai. And then Mordecai told her one day, he said, you know what? You're going to lay your life down. And you need to stand up for the Jews. And she said, I can't go talk to, to the king because I haven't been summoned for. And if I appear in his courts and he's in a bad mood, I could be beheaded. And he said, you know what? Get your maidservants. Y'all go fast. But you need to lay your life down. You need to stand up. Which You've got all these other lives laying in the balance if you don't say something. And she obeyed. She obeyed Uncle Mordecai. I think she obeyed because she saw God honoring him. She knew he was a man of integrity. And sure enough, the king looked out and he saw her standing there and he pointed his scepter towards her. He turned his face towards her. I love the benediction that Pastor Shirley does when it, when it says that, you know, that he had turned his countenance towards you. Do you know what that means? That means I'll turn all my favor towards you, all my grace. You won't be cast out. Whatever you need, grant it. Honor. Hallelujah. Yes. And that's what he did to Esther. He saw her and he pointed the scepter, meaning what do you need? Your wish. In other, this is my translation. Your wish is my command. Because if you've come here, obviously you have a request. I'm able to do it. I want to do it. What do you need? And you know she saved this. She saved the Jewish people. So God, that's his mercy. He restores and he honors. And the best part about it, he never forgets your work of righteousness. Never forgets your work of righteousness. Uh, let me see. I wrote something down here. It says, what I love about God is he knows and he sees everything. And his mercy Cannot be explained. Romans chapter 9 verse 15 through 16 says. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Verse 16 says. So then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs. But of God who shows mercy. In other words I'm in charge of mercy. I'll give it. I'll build on it. You can't earn it and you can't deserve it. And one thing about God's mercy, we have to give God's mercy to our brethren. 
Because if you stand with the carnal eye of judgment, because we think they have messed up for the last time, God's mercy will come and embarrass you. Because, see, God's mercy, it can't be explained. He's in charge of it. And he said, I'll give mercy to whoever I want to give mercy to. Because I believe this. Jack Kevorkian, if he would have got on his face and repented of his sins, God would have showed him mercy. His mercy, he said, I, I give mercy to whoever I want to give mercy to. And so the Lord warned me, never count somebody out. Never count a Christian out. I don't care what the devil shows you. I'll never forget when this ministry started. And uh, Diane, I can't even think of her last name, but we called her Mean the Merciless. And, uh, and she was. And, <laughs> and it just seemed like, I don't know why, because I didn't know Diane until I came to the ministry. I don't even know if I should even be saying her name. But I didn't know her until, you know, I got saved and started going to Brethren. And it just seemed like I would always hear something she did. And, uh, or a club she was at. And I remember I told Pastor Barb. And I said, oh my goodness, I heard, uh, what's that, Veils. I think it was Veils. I heard that uh, such and such was at Veils. And I was telling her some other things. You know, just feeling like I was just talking. What I was really saying is, yo girl, yo girl. And you know what? The Holy Spirit flipped the script on me one day. Pastor Barb said, why is it that the devil makes sure that you Always find out what she's doing. <laughs> she said, why the devil always make sure you know what she's doing wrong? I didn't have an answer. But I prayed and I said, Lord, you know what? I don't want to know what nobody's doing. I just want to take care of me and my house. I backed up. I backed up. I backed up. And so when, so that I was like, whew. And then I remember one day I was complaining about another gentleman that used to be in our ministry. And I was complaining. And I said, why does it seem like he can get away with stuff? Which he's not even here anymore. You know, God gives everybody a chance. And I said, why does it seem like he always get away with stuff? But every time I do something, I'm in trouble. And you know what she said? She said, well, God's mercy hovers over you. He wants you on the narrow road, not the broad road. And see, that person not even, I'm sitting up jealous because I think somebody getting away with something. And every time I do something wrong, I'm smacked in the beat. Or I, I'm on the phone. Hey, I need to talk to you. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what I do now? But you know what she said? Well, God's mercy hovers over you. Because, see, if his mercy exposes your sin, you won't keep going down that road of stupid and that's what I tell my, that's what I told my kids growing up. They said, why, why am I always in trouble? I said, cause God wants you to know He see you. I said, cause our next door neighbor that's 50 years old is in and out of jail. See, if God's mercy would have stopped him in high school and he would have saw he couldn't get away with nothing and lie to his parents and get over, then he wouldn't still be a repeat offender. But when God slaps you on the first attempt, He letting you know my mercy hovers over you. I got better for you. Amen. So anyway, God's, God's mercy is deep. It's, it's, it's awesome. And so when God said, I'll show mercy to whomever I'll show mercy, so don't be, don't be quick to count somebody out. Oh, Nola done messed up for the hundredth time. She's out. <laughs> but you gotta remember, Jesus is the umpire. He said, no, she's safe.
She's safe. My blood says she's safe. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise. I'm, this is my life. This is my, this is my life. God's mercy has, this is my life. We're going to go through this without me crying. I was crying on y'all last time. So anyway. <laughs> so it's, and so, and this, and this is another example. This is, I think it's the last one. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. But God's mercy will compel us to preach. Just like what I'm doing now. His mercy helped me out. I would do a disservice if I didn't tell you. If he helped me, he helped you. I would do a disservice. And so anyway, God's mercy will compel us to preach. And this is John chapter 4. So John, we're going to go to John chapter 4. 15 uh, pages. John chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 27. Chapter 4. John 4, this is the right page. Verse 27. It says, And at this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? Okay, let me okay, let me back up a little bit. I picked up on the meat. <laughs> let me give you the potatoes behind this. This is the lady at the well. Same lady, you know, might as well say, you know, she was pretty much, she was, she, was, she was a whore, you know. Jesus already called her on it. And so he's standing there talking to her, reading her her life. She's shocked. So the disciples walked up. And so as Jesus is talking to her, she's so shocked this man read her her life. The Bible says in verse 28, it says, the woman then left her water pot. So she forgot what she was there for. And the Lord let me know if she left her water pot, that means she didn't go back home to where that man was in her bed because she came to get some water for them. But she left her water pot, so she didn't go back home. She went her way into the city and said to the men, the men that I'm sure she knew them and they knew her, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And she said, Y'all know I done slept with every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and he knew it. He knew how many. Who is this man? Who is? And then he started talking about me, that he had water for me, and I could drink, and I'd never thirst again. And who is this? Y'all need to come see him, because I ain't never seen no man like this. And then they, went, then they went out of the city and came to him. So they believed her. They believed her. In the meantime, his disciple urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you don't even know about. In other words, I'm chomping on the devil's head. I'm getting my kids. I'm getting my daddy's harvest. I'm saving my family, bringing them into their inheritance. Therefore, the disciples said to to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Whose work? His work. God's work. Talking about mercy. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already ripe for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored. 
and you have entered into their labors. And going on to verse 39, because I think I want to go on to, uh, yeah, I want to go down to verse. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testifies. So she went out and she preached Christ. In the morning, she was in in the bed with some man. That afternoon, she was out preaching Christ. And everybody in the city was like, is that, is that, and who's she talking about? We got to go see this for ourselves. Because she's talking about a man, she ain't slept with him. She's talking about this man that's done told her everything she ever did wrong. We need to go see this man. She preached Christ. She preached Christ. And he said, and she said, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans had heard, heard when, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. So they was like, don't leave Jesus, keep talking to us. And many were, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard, and we know that this indeed he is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. So in the morning time, this woman was steeped in sin. She had an encounter with Jesus that wrecked her world and went out and got the whole city saved. That's God's mercy. God's mercy. Somebody might know you as a whore one day, but then once Jesus works you over, they'll say, that's a woman of God. She preaches Christ. She got, her whole family got saved. She made a radical change. She left that man in the bed. She didn't go back with that water pot. She ran to the city and said, hey, come. She compelled them to come. So Jesus is his mercy. You can't help but preach. Like the Bible says, God has spoken. Who can't help but prophesy? You know what I'm saying? When God does something for you, you can't help but tell it. It's too good. It's too good. You can't keep it. Why would you want to? If you see your sister in torment and fear, stuck in sin, and you know he did, he set you free, there's something inside of you that says, if I, if I got pulled up, I'm going to pull her up. If they call me a whore and now I'm saved, saved sanctified, tongue-talking, she don't have to live in this filth. She don't have to live a dishonorable life being passed from one man to the next man. Jesus set me free. He'll set her free. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. The power of your testimony is so powerful if you're not ashamed to tell it. That's the flip side of it. That's the flip. But see, that's where God gets the most glory. When you're not ashamed, never be ashamed of your past. You know, but I, you know, you can, I'm, I'm just going to say this. Yeah, you can use wisdom. You share what God wants you to share. But if it's something that's going to blow their mind, just keep it to yourself. That might be for the next person. But you know what? You can't, it compels you. You want to share that love, that peace. I don't care how many men you sleep with. That's not going to bring you peace, happiness. It's not going to bring you joy. It tears you down. It deflates you. And God is all about honor. Building up, restoring, saving, changing your name. Oh, he's all about that. All about that. It says, uh, okay, so are we in John? Where am I? It says, okay, God's, mer- God's mercy is not judging, condemning, or rejecting. It sets you free. You want everyone to experience that forgiveness, that love, that acceptance, and peace, and compassion. Jesus didn't condemn her. Or call her a whore. 
However, his mercy drew her in. The goodness of God will bring a man to repentance. She didn't want to go back to her old lifestyle. That's why she left that water pot there. She didn't go back home to that man. That man probably still sit up there saying, where's my water? And she out preaching somewhere. If she could pass by her in the street, wouldn't even know her because she's arrayed now in his glory. She got new clothes on. The glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 5. How am I doing, Tanya? Okay, let me see where I want to go. Oh, Lord. Okay, I, uh, okay let's go to Mark chapter 5. Matthew, Mark. Okay, let me just go to my page. 1478. 1478. Mark chapter 5. Oh, yeah, this is, this is awesome. Okay, this, I learned a lot. This blew my mind. So Mark chapter 5, let's do verse 18 and 19. This will be something familiar. So this is, uh, where do I want to start talking about him at? Mark chapter 5. Okay. This is, to give you a little background, you know who this is. This is the man, the demoniac, or, you know, there's different names for him. Verse uh, 18 After he was healed and delivered, the Bible says, and when he got out the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. So Jesus set this man free, cast the devils out and all that. This man is healed and in his right mind. But he wanted to follow Jesus, you know, like um, Bartimaeus did. However, Jesus did not permit him. But he said to him, this is God's mercy. You go home. Go to your friends. And go tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you or mercy. And he departed and began to proclaim. So he went out, he obeyed Jesus, and he started preaching in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And they all marveled. Amen. So Matthew chapter 15 And we're going to start in verse 29. Okay, oh, Matthew. Yeah, if I went to Matthew, that would help. Page 1435. Because they don't talk about it in Mark, so I had to pick this up in, in uh, Matthew. Okay. Matthew chapter 15, verse 29. What did Jesus tell the man, the demoniac, to do? He told him that you go home and you proclaim. He said, you go to Decapolis. So in uh, Matthew chapter 15, if you do your homework, starting in verse 29, Jesus shows up in Decapolis, the place where he told the man to go and preach. Jesus Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. And you could say in Decapolis, because that's exactly where he was, then great multitudes came to him, having with them lame, blind, mute. So check this out. If he just showed up there, why did they show up there? Because he'd been over there preaching. 
he'd been over there saying, y'all look, y'all know how I was. I was naked. I was crazy. I was breaking chains. Look at me. Jesus did this. The Messiah. He did this for me. The Bible says then great, just like the lady with the, the woman at the well. That's why you can't count nobody out. You can't count nobody out. You can't count. I don't care what they do. I don't care if you see them streaking down St. Clair naked, screaming. You be, look, you be looking at TV on TV preaching Christ and laying hands on somebody, casting the devil out of them. Don't, don't count nobody out. It says the great multitudes came to him having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, maimed, and many others and laid them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them. So the multitude marveled. So they, just like the men marveled when they told the, the, the lady at the well, they said, we believe him now because we heard him, not just because of what you said. And so now these people that he's been preaching to, they're, they're sitting there marveling like, wow, he really is all that. He can do everything. And so the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the vain made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Amen. And guess what? Verse 32, when it talks about him feeding the 4,000, that was in Decapolis. 4,000 people were following Jesus because of this man that was delivered in the tombs had been preaching about him. Just like the woman at the well. The whole city got saved because she ran to the city instead of running back home to somebody else's husband. She ran to the city and said, come see this man. God's mercy. It'll compel you to preach. That man said, I've been in the tombs. You know, all this time there was value inside of me. But I didn't value myself. I didn't know who I was. But then Jesus saved me. He put me in my right mind. He gave me the mind of Christ. And he said, I have something for you to do. Go preach. Go tell them. I want to help them like I helped you. That's who these people are. Decapolis. So never count anybody out. Never count anybody out. Man, thank you, Jesus. And so, you see, God's mercy, it, God's mercy will protect our inheritance. Uh, I wonder if I got, how much time do I have in this time? Yeah. Okay, let me tell you something real quick. Mark chapter 10. Remember when uh, the sons of Zebedee, you know, same thing, sons of Zebedee. They, James and John, they had prominence because they said, and they said, they came to Jesus, didn't even respect who he was. And they said, Jesus, we want you to do us a favor. And then there's another translation where it says their mother was there. And she said, Jesus, we want you to, I want you to do me a favor. They didn't respect God. And they said, you know what I want you to do? Sit my, I want my sons to sit one on the left, one on the right. Oh, you know, we've been walking with you, Jesus. We've been getting dirty. You know, they need my sons. It's time for them to be honored. So, and Jesus, you know what he said? He said, yeah, you're going to drink the cup that I drink. You're going to go through it because they both were wound up beheaded. He said, but that place of honor, I can't do that. He said, God has prepared. My father has prepared the people that's supposed to sit there. So God will protect your inheritance. Your reward. Don't ever walk through this world thinking that what you do is uh, overlooked, not enough. God has an inheritance laid up for you that your carnal mind couldn't wrap around. 
and it's preserved for you. They are the only people that I could find that came to Jesus with a request and he told them no. He said no. My father has already prepared a place for the people that's supposed to sit in that place of honor. And it ain't you. It ain't you. And so God, he will protect your reward. He will protect your inheritance. Stay faithful to your God given assignment. And lay up treasure in heaven. God won't forget you. Isaiah 49:15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, but I will never forget you. Amen. So anyway, there is some more scripture that I could give, but I do want you to write down Micah chapter 6. And uh, uh, Micah uh-huh, chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. Miss Tanya, do I have time to read that? Okay, Micah, let me find it. Micah. Mm, let me see it this way. Micah chapter 6. And verses 6 through 8. I'm going to read this in the NLT. It says, what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before the Most High God with offerings of yearling calves? All these works. Micah was a prophet, by the way. Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? And this is the prophet Micah saying, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. So this is what the Lord requires of us. Just like he's the God of all mercy. And where is that one that says, uh, I don't know if I wrote it down, but you know it, where it says, uh, to the, oh, it's the Beatitudes. I love the Beatitudes. So when you've been shown mercy, you go home and read the Beatitudes because I don't think I have time for that. But because we've been given mercy. What's it? Blessed are the merciful? For, for they'll receive merciful. Mercy. So that's what God, the prophet Micah told him. Now, this is what you do. Love mercy. Show it, give it, receive it. That's the first thing. You've got to receive God's mercy. Yes, and then after you receive it and know that you didn't have to pay for it, Jesus did that. Then you can freely give it away to somebody else when you see them falling short. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, it works just like love. Yes. Yes, Amen. For the sake of the viewers, it's just like love. You gotta receive it, and then you can get it. Then it's shed abroad from your heart, from Pastor Shirley. Amen. So God is the Father of mercies. He's many faceted. Yes, God is love. He's love. He's mercy. He's compassion. He's our healer. He's our justifier. He's our righteous judge. He's the one that's the one that's in the courtroom. When they say guilty, God says safe. No, she's safe. Don't you see my blood over that situation? Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you are the Father.